You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to Getting in the Word. I appreciate you being here. It's always uh, a great privilege and uh, an honor to come together each week and open God's Word together. And so if you're joining us for the first time on the program, we want to welcome you. It's a, it's an honor to have you, and uh, we are privileged to, to have you. And we pray that you'll, your time here will uh, be, be a blessing and uh, that you will continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So thank you. Uh, for the admin and your willingness to be here as well, and uh, we are grateful for all of the help. Well, this morning I want us to get uh, redirected. As you can see, I posted um, a series I want to begin on the family, and I think that uh, in our day and in the age in which we live, the family is a important um, solution to the problems we face as a nation as a church. And so my hope is that uh, over the next six Thursdays, we'll work through each one of these sections on the family. And I pray it'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a challenge to you. Uh, if you, um, if you've never considered the importance of family, I trust that this will be a great blessing and a, and a challenge. So let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for uh, today, we thank you for the opportunity. We pray for each one here. I pray that you will uh, use this time, and uh, God, that you will be glorified. Lord, as we see in your word and uh, the importance of the family, and God, the the framework for which you um, will bless this nation and bless uh, this world is through uh, your um, makeup of the family and what it is to be a family. We don't uh, get to choose our family. God, you put us in the family, and you have also brought us into the family of God. And for that, we give you praise and honor and glory. And I pray today for each one here, you bless them in a special way. Use this time for your glory and for your honor. We ask these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, today, our family series, I want us to begin to ask the question, how fellowship relates to family. Uh, family is something that almost everyone is, is blessed with, and yet still others feel that family is far from a blessing, more like a curse or an undesired job to be completed because it's simply lots of work. And there's never been a time, in, and I don't think in, at least in my lifetime, in which there's been so much disunity within the family. You throw the political sides left and right. You throw a pandemic in there left or right, or whichever side of the family you're on. Maybe you call it the plandemic. And then you throw a vaccination, the non-vaccinated versus the vaccinated. You have children whose family is not allowed to see the children unless the children vaccinate and or the parents vaccinate, and it's just a hot mess right now. 
And so maybe when I talk about family, your ears perk up because there's a lot of tension and a lot of disunity. On the other hand, we find family at the center of God's plan for humanity. Listen, everyone was born by a parent. By God's intended plan, each one was to have a mother and a father. Um, It takes a man and it takes a woman to produce a child. All of this LGBTQ is, is all an attack against the core family makeup by which God has planned before the foundations of the world. If he really wanted Adam and Steve to make a family, he would have created that. But that's not what God created. He created Adam and Eve, and he called them to be fruitful and multiply. And his plan has, from the beginning of time, been the nucleus family. Now, there are some situations where that hasn't been the case um, as far as a mother and father goes in the home. Maybe a father has passed away during the nine-month pregnancy process. That happens, unfortunately. Um, But also, maybe there was even a separation during this, which caused a breakup of the family, resulting in the family not being as God had intended. But regardless, there is still family that exists. So as we approach family, our intent is to understand what Scripture's view of the family is, what it is that God says about the family. Now, there are some families that are not able to have children, but a family doesn't necessarily have to include the making of children. Children simply add to the size of one's family and continue helpfully the family's name. Based upon the scriptures, I believe unless one is called by God not to marry and to have children, one should seek for a partner. And let me clarify again, male and female. God's design is always best. doesn't matter what the culture thinks. He, God calls male and female to produce um, because you have to be male and female to uh, produce and extend the family. Now, if every child in the home refused to marry and refused to have children, then the family at some point would end and the family name would cease to continue. And thus, we see the blessings throughout the Scripture of the family and the name carrying on, the name of the family. So um, the reality is, is even some are not able to have children. So our desire as Christians should listen be to, 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 to grow the family, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and produce like-minded children who love the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be through adoption or conception. Not everyone, listen, can bear their own children. Many godly women are barren, so many adopt. And that is a great blessing. It's a great picture of Christ in the church. And if you haven't had the chance to watch the movie by the Kendrick Brothers, Show Me the Father, I suggest you do that. It is a great movie 
for you and your husband and your children to go be a part of. It will bless you. But nevertheless, family is a blessing. But can you blame some for not considering family in the same fashion as described above as a blessing? Because sometimes it feels like a curse because of the disunity. I've personally been blessed with a great family. No one family is perfect or Christ-like. Listen, 24-7. I've truly been blessed with a family of my own, and I've been also brought into the family of my wife. And so Jennifer and I got married and became one flesh as the Bible says, and the only thing that eliminates that one flesh relationship, the Bible says, is death. So we took each other's families, and her family became my family, and my family became her family, and, and, and we come together as one big family. Now, I will say this. You don't get to choose your family from your husband or your wife's side, nor whom you're born to. You get whom you get, because there is the God who is in heaven who is sovereign over that. But they're, they are all part of your family once you become one flesh with your spouse. You can choose your spouse, but you can't choose your in-laws unless you choose your wife based off your in-laws, which is not a bad idea, by the way, guys and gals, because typically... The woman or man you marry won't be much different than their mother or their father in many cases. So those are your family members. Those whom God has brought to you in this world and, and through and those folks whom you marry into. Some may even consider those that are not blood as family because they have been around, they've invested in one another over the years, and they have become like family. I've got several friends who are like family to me. They're like a brother. But but why preach on the family? Why, why, why do we need to worry about the family? Is the family really that important? Well, I hope that over the next several weeks that I can help show how God believes the family to be important and how it is that it should operate. So in order to encourage all of us here today, those listening, or those that will be listening later, I have a few things that I want to talk about that I believe the Bible teaches as it deals with the family. Family goes far beyond the doors of our home, and the family goes even further than the confines of our relatives. Family is built upon the foundation, listen, of the Lord Jesus Christ and His very Word. In this series on family, we're going to talk about some hard topics. I'm not going to be politically correct on some of the subjects that will arise, but I can promise that as far as it is possible with me, I will rather be biblically correct on the issues. 
The Bible reminds us to sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thus, I believe if I'm going to be faithful in preaching the word of God, I must do it founded on the word of God. Listen, sanctification is a process by which God grows us in our Christian walk. It's the process in which you and I, as we study the Word of God, become more Christ-like. And it begins by the renewing of our mind. And that which should renew our mind should be the Word of God. So we must assume that if we're going to grow in our understanding of God and His view on the family, we're going to have to look and to dive and to dig into the pages of His Word, into the Scriptures, into the living, active Word of God. And so this will be a journey in which we will find ourselves looking at six viable components of the family, which I hope will challenge us to do better in 2021 and onward as we deal with the family. The objective, listen, is not to gain head knowledge about what the family is. I mean, we could just simply write a definition of what it, of what it is. That would be very simple. But what I hope that God communicates to you and I are the foundations of how you can have a successful family in a society that desires to break down the family. This has become a reality, folks. So what are the six components? Well, today we're going to be looking at the first component, which deals with the area of fellowship. Fellowship. Today, I want us to look at the five aspects of fellowship that deal with the family. There may be more, but I've chosen to uh, break down uh, fellowship into five aspects, really four aspects. And so the four aspects that I want us to grasp is first, fellowship as it relates to relationship. And then we're going to look at fellowship as it relates to partnership. And then we're going to look at fellowship as it rate relates to companionship. And then lastly, fourthly, fellowship as it relates to stewardship. Stewardship. And so these are the four aspects of fellowship that I want us to, to look at. So as we begin to understand just what the word fellowship means, we need to first ask the question, what does the word fellowship mean? But not only that, but in our culture, you know, the cultural context is a big deal. But more importantly, we need to understand what it means biblically. What does the New Testament, what does the Bible teach us about the word fellowship and its meaning? Sometimes as we read our Bible and we think we understand terms to the fullest extent, we assume we understand the full significance of a word. But many times our thoughts and our ideas about these words are incomplete in the translation process. So it's always helpful to understand the uh, the the original languages so that we can maybe fuller grasp 
what uh, the the writers were trying to communicate. So fellowship, I think, is one of these words that we really lack understanding on, and at least I did before I began to study the word. So with that in mind, I hope to today to give you a better understanding of this word fellowship and what it looks like in the New Testament. And that way, the body of Christ can understand the meaning of the word uh, fellowship as it relates in the New Testament and how we can make sure we are experiencing fellowship as a family. So fellowship in our culture can come in many fashions. The context can vary from from family to friendship to marriage and relationships with associates, uh, with how we deal with folks at work, uh, clubs and and neighborhoods and places of worship, but they may be regulated by law or customs or mutual agreements and are on the basis of social groups and societies as a whole. And while the English definition of for fellowship gives us a good idea of what it is, I don't think it holds the same idea as the New Testament. The definition of fellowship, as Webster describes it, is a community of interest, activities, feelings, or experience. It's the state of being a fellow or an associate. And then it, it could also mean company of equals and, and friends. So, so I guess what I want you to see is that while Webster defines these, these areas um, as a group of people that are like-minded, and while, yes, many families, including the, the church family, are, are a group of people that are like-minded, but wouldn't you agree not always the case? Therefore, I don't believe this is a full understanding of what is meant in the New Testament. When, when the writers use the word fellowship. And that's an important thing we need to consider, is just how um, the, the Greek word here for fellowship is defined. Now, the Greek word here for fellowship is koinonia. And the root word is koinos, which means common. It's why the language of the New Testament is called Koine Greek. It was the common language of Christ's day and the day for the Romans and Greeks and Jews. And so koinonia, or fellowship, gives two main thoughts. It means to share or to take part together, partnership and participation. Right off the bat, you can see, you can begin to see how vital koinonia is, fellowship is within the church. And so I would like to look first at fellowship as it relates to relationship. As we look at the New Testament, many things were shared because of a common relationship. And I want you to know that that commonality, that common relationship was based on Christ. Paul and John never use the word in context of a secular sense, but always use this word with this sense of spiritual significance. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, when it says, God is faithful, 
through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here we see the word fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, which again gives the idea of partnership or oneness. We are secured in our salvation when we are in koinonia with Christ, when we are in fellowship with Christ. Because when we are in fellowship with Christ, we are in fellowship with the Son. You are connected. You are partners. You are one in Christ. Needless to say, family doesn't always include a Christian family. But I am talking about Christian families. I'm talking about Christ-centered families because I believe that a Christ-centered family is a family model that should be the one that is projected and followed and modeled after. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Christians should be setting the example. You followers of Jesus Christ, you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, ought to be setting the example for the world to follow after in your families. I know we fall short sometimes, guys and gals, but it does not negate our responsibility to lead by example. Paul even called his listeners to follow after him. Do what I do. The only way we can possibly do that is if we are certain we are living out our lives in a way that we know can honor the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.3 says, What we have seen and what we have heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with what? The Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. John proclaims Jesus Christ to his readers in order that they should have fellowship with him. And right after that, he truly clarifies just what it is that they have fellowship in. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And while that is faith in Jesus that brings one to Christian faith and Christian fellowship, if the sense of fellowship is common participation in something, then that something in the context would appear to be eternal life. Would appear to be eternal life. We must participate in a relationship with Jesus Christ before you are considered to be in fellowship with Christ and listen, ultimately, in the family of God. Well, Pastor, one doesn't have to be a Christian to have a family. You're right, they don't. But listen to me very clearly. One must have placed their faith in Jesus Christ in order to be in the family of God. You can't express fellowship in the Christian fashion, unless you were born again, born from above, born by the Spirit of God. Thus Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Fellowship means we belong to each other. 
in a relationship because we share together the common life and an enabling grace of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we simply need to die to ourselves and sometimes our own personal desires and realize, listen, we are all part of the same body in relationship to Jesus Christ. We must understand that mom and dad are in the family of God, then our fellowship should be connected to Christ and out of this world. It's hard to experience fellowship with family when you are not in the family, capital F, family of God. If your family only exists in the temporary, then your fellowship will only be temporary at best. It will only be at its best when, listen, things are going your way. When that other family member says all the right things at the right times, when you're getting what you want, it's then will, will it be at its best. But listen, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, which only comes by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, as the way unto salvation. It's only then we can have fellowship through a relationship in Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship even when there's disagreement, when it's not going my way, when I'm not getting what I want. Why? Because we are connected to Christ. We are a family outside of the family because we are part of the family of God. We are children of God. And that's the positive side. But listen, there's always a negative side. And that said, because our relationship with Christ, because our partnership with Christ, because of our relationship and, and fellowship with Jesus Christ, listen to me very clearly. There can be no legitimate fellowship with the world. We have to live in the world, but we are told to not be of the world. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be not bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or, or what fellowship has light with darkness? That, that means you shouldn't have fellowship or mixture of ungodly fellowship with ungodly people. There is no connectivity between the righteous and the unrighteous, the, the godly and the ungodly, the born again and the not born yet, the lost and the saved, the dead and alive. God has nothing in common, my friends, with the ungodly. Psalm 5, 4 and 5 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Listen, the Bible says every single one in the sound of my voice have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says you are not righteous. There is none righteous. No, not one outside of Jesus Christ and that the wages of your sin is death, and you must be born again from above. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ if you are to be saved, if you are to be in the family of God, if you are to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Listen, the godly man does not work together with evil. God doesn't work with evil. And we shouldn't work together with them either. I don't care the situation. I don't care whose feelings you hurt. I don't care. Doesn't matter. We must stand firm in this. If we are going to be a faithful family, there must be no koinonia, no partnership with the world or wickedness. We have to do things God's way. And so listen, just because there is dissension between families, not necessarily a bad thing. Because you who are in Christ, my friends, no matter how bad you want your family to be reconciled to each other, when you are a born-again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, there will be disunity. Because he who is born again to those who are perishing, the gospel is foolish. The gospel's foolish. And I believe this is one of the many reasons families fail to get along. Either you are immature towards each other, or one is simply not a believer, and it's just impossible to truly fellowship with someone who is not born again. But I'm here to tell you, the family, the true family of God, can have absolute fellowship with one another. That is why so many even come to this channel, to this program, and they feel like this group is more of a family than whom they were born into. Why? Because they have koinonia here. They have a relationship with one another that is built upon the foundations of God changing hearts and connecting you and you be born again into the family of God. And so that's why we don't do ministry with unbelievers. That's why we don't do ministry with false religions. What fellowship has light with darkness? It doesn't. It's a rhetorical question. There is no fellowship. Until we get that understood and start living that out, there, there will be a mess in the fellowship and in the family. There will be confusion. Because you see that if a fellow believer does something to hurt the body, we can address it because they are in the universal fellowship of Christ, bound together in Christ. Now, here's the deal. This is what's really beautiful about this. When somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, and they believe the gospel and they are saved, sanctification is a process. And many people want people to be saved and born again, and all of a sudden they are pure and righteous and holy, and, and they never sin. But that's not the case for most of us. Most of us, when we're born again, we bring a whole lot of baggage with us. And sanctification, listen, is a progressive process by which God begins to eliminate the sin in our lives. And so we can see the growth. We can see the spiritual maturity in a person as they continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful process that unfolds. When you're born again, you become a family member. And just because a family member messes up doesn't mean we kick them out of the family. It means we come alongside of them and we pray for them, and we minister to them, and we pray that God would sanctify them and continue to grow them in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. 
to what we are saying when we say to an unbeliever, stop that. We, we can't do those things here. Listen, what do we expect? If they're an unbeliever, they're not going to act like you, and they're not going to act godly, and they're not going to do the things that you hope to do. So if you have family members who are, who are, who are, acting crazy and out of control, and there's disunity in your family. Listen, just because you're born into that group doesn't make you family as it relates to God. And you can't expect them to act holy and righteous when they're not born again, when they're not in the family of God, when they have no relationship to Christ. So what do we expect? You start allowing people to infiltrate into the family and into the church and in ministries and in this church or that church, and you begin to create issues in the body, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay. Listen, we have fellowship together in a relationship to Jesus Christ. Our salvation in Christ brings us into the fellowship of Christ. You know, we have very stringent membership regulations at Family Bible Fellowship. And just because someone comes forward and says, I want to be a member of the church, doesn't make them a member of our local body or our local assembly. There is a process. And until they complete that process, they are not a member of Family Bible Fellowship. Now, they may be a member of the universal body of Christ, but that doesn't make them a member of our local assembly. I could say, this is my church. I go here to Family Bible Fellowship, and there are many who do, and there are many who have come for many years, but they're not members. They're not members of Family Bible Fellowship. Why? Because we want to make sure that before they become an actual member of the body of Christ, the local body of Christ, that they meet the criteria that the Bible says they should be in order. We want to make sure that we protect the integrity of the church. Why? Because we don't want to be in fellowship with those who are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship together in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Christ and brings us into the fellowship of Christ. And that is why it's important. The world wants to break down the families divide up the families, to mix them up, to confuse them, and to destroy them in the end. Well, pastor, how can we evangelize the lost? Outreach is not evangelism. Outreach can be a part of evangelism, but listen, evangelism shares the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and outreach gives a temporal relief and gives food and physical needs, but, but not the spiritual needs. What, but what, good does, the, what does, good does it do to feed someone if we never evangelize them? I'm not saying it's a good thing to to give. I'm not saying it's not a good thing to give temporal need to a person or family. But what I am saying is that without giving them the hope of the gospel, the hope of salvation in Christ, those who are receiving physical help is doing them an injustice. That, that's why I don't buy the social gospel. That's why I'm not woke. Because I believe that if we're going to give to the needs of people, we should be giving both physically and spiritually. The gospel doesn't need a prefix. The gospel is the gospel. And we need not distort the gospel. 
if you really believe that there is a hell and that people are going there, if you really are not right with God, then failing to give them the spiritual as well as the physical would be wrong. And so we always want to create opportunities. Listen, there are children and adults in in biological families who have never heard the gospel. And there are many who have heard, but it's never taken root. And what we need to is, is, is true biblical fellowship in the family. Let me tell you, if this nation's going to get back, my friends, this, it begins with the gospel. Because you can be a nucleus family, a dad, a mom, and children, and be absolutely pagan. You could be absolutely horrendous in the way you raise your children. Listen, what matters is that you are in the family of God. Because when you are born again, you are a new creation in Christ, and the old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. You have been created to do good works, which means that you're raising your children. You are loving your wife. You are loving your husband. Your children are obeying their parents. There is a, a beautiful picture of the family of God being in a relationship, connected in koinonia to the Lord Jesus Christ in the outflow of a relationship and a changed heart will result in an obedient family who are following the ways of God. The positive aspect of fellowship is a personal fellowship with Jesus Christ and how that brings us together as a church family. And the negative aspect of fellowship is fellowship with the world. What fellowship has light with darkness? It doesn't. While we see that aspect of fellowship and how it relates to relationship, I want us to now see fellowship as it relates to partnership. There is a distinction between the two. Relationship describes what we are, a community of people bound together in Christ in which we share the blessings of the common life together through a personal walk with Christ. Partnership, though, on the other hand, describes how we are to relate with each other in that relationship. We are partners in our calling which we are to work together toward a common purpose to accomplish common goals and objectives for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of what? The gospel. It's a wonderful business model, working together for one purpose. Our mission statement at Family Bible Fellowship is to know Christ and to what? Make Christ known. In the passage we just looked at, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership? There's the word, have righteous and lawlessness. And what fellowship has light with darkness? The Greek word used there for partnership. It holds the same idea, sharing or partnering as with koinonia for fellowship. But these two words were used, both used by Luke in reference to the partnership of Peter, James, and John in Luke 5. 
as the Lord told them to put their nets down. Listen, there is partnership in the true family. One writer says it this way, biblical fellowship incorporates the idea of active partnership in the promotion of the gospel, in the building up of believers. We have goals that we should be trying to accomplish as a family of God. It's important we see them as a fellowship of believers. We should be working together to accomplish the, this common goal, which is the gospel. This is our active uh, partnership together. It's time we as the family do what we are designed to do as the family. Moms and dads, share the gospel with your children. Children, share the gospel with your friends. Dad and mom, share the gospel. We are in community when we are fulfilling our partnership and our roles. Philippians 1, 3, and 5 says, I thank my God in my, all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What we need, my friends, is gospel. For I am confident, he says, of this very thing, that he who began a good work and you will see it to completion will perfect it until the day of Christ. Here we see Paul speaking to the Philippian believers about their partnership in the gospel. Galatians 2, 9 also teaches about partnership in Christ and in the gospel. I think a great illustration of this picture of a husband and wife, a family, there is a great picture of partnership in marriage. We help each other. We sacrifice for one another. We die to ourselves on a regular basis for one another. We keep our eyes focused on Christ as we play our parts and fulfill our roles, being godly partners for the sake of the glory of God and ultimately for gospel opportunities. Marriage is a great picture of Christ and the church and the partnership that we have together in fellowship in a strong, healthy, biblical family. So are you fulfilling your job as a partner in the gospel, in the family of God? It should be core. Go preach the gospel, my friends. We have the unity together in partnership for that. Partner means sacrifice. It means you've got skin in the game. Go preach the gospel. God uses you. He uses me to be a mouthpiece for Christ. So while the family... There is relationship. There is partnership. Thirdly, we also want to see fellowship as it relates to companionship. Companionship is the communication that exists among companions. There are two types of companionship as it relates to relationship. The first is vertical. The second is horizontal. Listen, vertical companionship is the life we live through our fellowship with the Lord. Things such as prayer, fasting, studying the Word of God, being filled with the Spirit of God, abiding in Christ. All of this is vital, a vital part of being a, a godly family, is our vertical companionship. Horizontal companionship, on the other hand, is the life we live together as families here on this earth. 
Yes, we are part of one family, one body in Christ, and individual members of one another, and we are in the family of God, and there we have a connectivity, we have a relationship. But the horizontal companionship is how we live life together. There are fellowship with the body of Christ and other believers. Sometimes these can be out of balance, and you can sometimes be so heavenly focused that you're of no earthly use and vice versa. Vertical companionship, we must make sure that we are working on our relationship with God. To ensure good physical health, we generally have three meals a day. We worry about what we eat. We worry about our exercise. And, uh, and how often do we feed on the Word of God? Do we study God's Word as a family? First Peter 2, 2 says you, sh- you shouldn't long for it as the pure milk of the Word. Matthew 4, 4 says, man must not simply live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Job 23, 12 says that I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the word of his mouth more than my necessary food. What about prayer? Do we pray as a family? 1 John 5, 14, the confidence is this, which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Not my will, not your will, his will. And it's been said that seven days without prayer makes one week. W-E-A-K. The book of James tells us to pray for wisdom when we don't know what to do in James 1, 5. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says prayer is connected with receiving God's peace. Ephesians 6, 18, prayer is a very important part of battling the forces of evil. We are told to pray for those in authority over us. Do you pray for the dads, for the husbands, for the leaders in the home, for the pastors and the elders, the leaders of the church, the president of the United States. Are we praying for this man? Listen, prayer shows our dependence upon God, His power, and His wisdom. Prayer is powerful and very important. We need to have it in this vertical companionship in the family. But what does the Word of God say about our horizontal companionship? Those that we have a relationship and we deal with every day, that means me and you. He says we should come together as family Bible fellowship. And as here, getting in the Word. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We should have times together in small groups, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. We should meet together one-on-one, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We should be sharing and communicating together truth and building up one another, Romans 1, 11 to 12, 2 Timothy 2, 2 and verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and Philemon 6. We should be joining together in worship through the Lord's Supper, through the singing of hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, 1 Corinthians 10.16, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. We should be praying together for one another, 1 Corinthians 14.16 and 17. We should be continuing the ministry of the Word, preaching and teaching, Acts 20.20, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, 1 Peter 4.10 and 11. We should be coming together as partners in the needs and burdens and concerns and joys and blessings for the purpose of encouragement, comfort, challenge and exhorting and praising and prayer and the physical health according to the needs and abilities 
There is not one person in the family, the church or the home that deserves any different treatment than anyone else. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how black you are. I don't care how white you are. I don't care how Asian you are or Hispanic you are. There is not one need that shouldn't be met based off of any of that. We are one body in Christ. This whole critical race theory, this whole social gospel thing, this whole social justice makes me want to throw up all over my microphone. Preach the gospel. Be gospel-centered believers. Love one another. Stop looking at the color of skin. If you got a, 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 a race issue, then it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue, friend. Repent and believe the gospel. Listen, Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5 reminds us, For just as there are many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We need each other, friends. We need each other. You know, winter's coming. We're going to be having Oktoberfest in October 30th. We'd love for you to come join us. We'll be having our Oktoberfest out at Huspa Plantation. And uh, hopefully there will be some fires with s'mores. And, and, and as I think about that, I think about a fire. And, you know, when we build a fire, we have coals. And those coals are red hot. The embers are blazing hot. If we take one of those coals out and we set it on the side, what happens to that? It goes out. You can pick it up with your hand and you can hold it. It's no longer hot. But the coals that are together and in the fire are still blazing. Now, if you take that single coal that's gotten cold and it's alone and it's got no heat to it, it's not producing any good energy. If you take that hot that coal and you put it back in the fire, what happens? That coal gets hot again. Listen, we need each other. We are not one or two. We're not, we're not divided. And some this morning need to jump back into the fire. Some of you need to get back into the body of Christ where you can be encouraged and you can be challenged and you can be lifted up and you can be exhorted and you can be loved on and you can be prayed for and you can be provided for so that you can spark that fire within you and you can be a fire bowl for Jesus Christ. There is no division among us who are in Christ because we are one family. And I don't know about you, but if you get up in my family and you try to start causing divisions, I'm not able to get hot and fired up. We should be looking past people's mistakes. Stop trying to crucify people. Jesus already died on the cross for their sins. What we ought to be doing is that praying the grace of God would abound in their life and that he will grow them in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about flaunted sin. We should rebuke those people in the family in love, lest they prove not to be family. And we should try our best to think the most excellent of them at all times. Why? Because we are members of one another, a family. We need to place focus on the horizontal companionship, because if one part of the body is hurting, listen, the rest of the body is not working properly. And if we are not working properly, then there will be discouragement with one another. 
There will be gossiping, and listen, gossiping is you blabbing your big yapper on social media about everybody else's sin rather than going to the source. If you got the guts, come talk to me if you got a problem with me. But you know what? If you go off and you talk about your brother or your sister and their sin to all of the world, and yet you haven't come to them, you are in sin, and you should repent. I am sick of the direct messages that I get that try to crucify me, that accuse me of being a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Grow up. Listen to my messages. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I've never once, not written, not video, not audio, have ever supported the Q movement, ever. How dare you blaspheme my name and my ministry behind my back to a bunch of rebels? If we are going to operate as the family of God, then act like the family of God and start coming together and doing things the way God calls you to do them. If you've got a problem with your brother, you go to him face to face. And if you won them over, then you've done a great thing. And if it doesn't work, then you go two or more people. And if that don't work, you take them to the church and you kick them out and treat them like a pagan. But the last I've heard, I ain't got no direct messages to me but I can read the spew all over the place. But true families don't act that way. We love one another. We care about our horizontal relationships. We don't give up on one another. We don't hate one another. We live law, life alongside of one another, not giving up on one another. When really each of us has a bunch of junk in the trunk. Bunch of dead bones buried all over the place. Listen, if we've had a bad week and I'm grumpy, please don't give up on me. Pray for me. Visit me. Love me. Fellowship with me. I need you and you need me and each other. If I'm accused of something that is not of God, don't give up on me. Confront me. Talk to me. Address me. Don't spew it on your little chat rooms. Don't gossip about me and my family. Love me. Because I can promise you most likely what you've heard isn't true. You know, we live in a world where there's false news out there. I don't know if you've woken up yet to that reality. But that goes for all of us, including myself. We are family. And living these passages out, listen, will help us to see family as it relates to relationship, to partnership, and companionship. And finally, I want you to see fellowship as it relates to stewardship. What is stewardship? In the process in which one manages another's property, he is a manager. He's not the owner. If you go to babysit somebody's house, you don't own the house. They might give you access to the car, to the refrigerator, to the to the sofa, to the television. But listen, eventually the owner's coming back and he's going to take it over again. You're just a manager of it. You don't need to forget that. You're simply watching out or making decisions about someone else's property while they are not present. I'm not going to get all socialistic on you today, but I want you to see and understand that everything we have is God and not ours. It's all God's. And we're simply stewards of what God has allowed us to manage. The early church got that. They understood that. And if you don't believe me, flip over to Acts chapter 2. 
specifically verse uh, 42 to 46. And I, and I think you'll be encouraged to hear what the family of God does and looks like. And I know we live in a world where there's a bunch of beggars and lazy people like the Cretans, lazy gluttons. They like to eat. They just don't like to work. Well, that's what happens when the government gives you everything and you don't have to go out and sweat like God tells you. You will sweat by the brow. The Bible says you work, you not eat. Don't come to me hungry and you ain't got no job because I can promise you there are plenty of jobs out there. And if you ain't got one, come on, I give you, I put you on a weed eater. Listen to what he says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's, that's important aspects of fellowship. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Make that very clear. It's through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Imagine that. Common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with, with, with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, this is unity. This is family. Listen, they gave not because they were told, because there were needs. They wanted to. They got to. There are needs today in the body of Christ, in the fellowship of believers. What, what are you doing for them? There are needs you probably don't know about, but what are you doing about the needs you do know about? There are missionaries that are in need. There are people fulfilling the Great Commission to reach all the people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people right here in our church and in this community that are in financial need, and some simply need our time. Giving is shown throughout all of the New Testament, and therefore as partners in Christ and His activities on earth, we need to share with one another, realizing that we are not owners but stewards of the possessions God has entrusted to us. Listen, giving is an act of worship. To know God, that it doesn't go unnoticed, The reality is, is when people give, I don't look to what's give, but no, God knows all you do, and He will take care of you. I've heard it said this way, just because it's low tide, it may not make sense to you if you're not anywhere near the ocean, but in most places there's a tide. The water comes up and the water goes down, some places much bigger than others. But just because it's low tide doesn't mean there isn't the same amount of water in the ocean. 
It's just a matter of the tide changing. And the water at that time is distributed elsewhere at low tide. Listen, you may have a need today, and it may be low tide, but listen, trust the Lord. The tide will soon come back in, and God will place your needs. He will provide for you, and he'll do it through one of your family members in the body of Christ because he loves you. And he is a God who has promised to supply all your needs, not all your wants or your greeds, but your needs. And we should have a desire to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. And in the church, tithing helps us do that. We, we as a church, are able to give to the needs of the people in our community, provide food for those who are hungry, help those mothers who need help, give refrigerators who have gone bad and help plumbing issues and roofing issues. And so the reality is why we have a deacon fund at the church. And we supply to that deacon fund out of our general fund to help the needs of people in the body of Christ, specifically the body of Christ. Now, we do have a, a benevolence fund for those who are not in the church, but I can promise you much more of our benevolence goes to the body of Christ. Listen, family is so much more than something you're boring into. That's part of it. Family is not simply coming together on Sunday mornings for an hour or two or three. It's a lifestyle through relationship, through partnership, through companionship, and through stewardship. How should we all apply this? Well, 1 John 1, 7 says, have fellowship with each other. It starts first with being in the family of God. Are you in the family of Christ today? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? How about step into faith in Christ? Like 1 John 1, 3 says, we proclaim to you Christ and Him crucified so that you too might have fellowship with us, so that you too can be in common faith, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want, we desire for you to be in the family of God. And it starts by putting your faith in Jesus, crying out to Him, yes, I've broken the law of God. Yes, I have sinned. Yes, I'm fallen short of the glory of God. But God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to take my place, to die on my behalf, that I might have life and that I might be born into the family of God. And today I put my faith in you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross at Calvary. My works, my deeds, my efforts could never satisfy the just penalty of sin. But Jesus, the one who was perfect, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who died and rose again from the grave and has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is able, if you will just put your faith in him today. Would you do that? Call on him. Believe and be saved and let us love each other so much that people will want to become part of the universal body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word and for this time together today, and we ask you bless it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast, and be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. 
And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Well, let's go ahead and open the chat this morning, if you will, and uh, just give it an opportunity for people to respond. And uh, maybe you were encouraged and uh, 